So welcome to The Boiler Room, an arena podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Julia. And I'm Santiago. What's this episode's topic today? Today, we are talking about GOTV vote by mail. It might feel a little unfamiliar. It's something that we're doing a lot of this cycle. But is it that tricky? Is vote by mail that tricky? I think we've, we've wrestled with this here at Arena when we were talking about GOTV, um, you know, gearing up for GOTV trainings, you know, and I think in the brainstorms and planning that we've had, you know, thinking about this is like, it's the goal is still the same. It's just the, you know, getting people to vote um, by a different method and emphasizing the male portion of it. And so it looks like, you know, this is going to be a new thing for a lot of different parts of the country. Some parts of the country have been doing this all along, so it's nothing new. Um, I'm thinking Arizona, Colorado, you know, but other states, it's a little bit more complicated, maybe. It's so true. And I don't know about you, Santiago, but I have only voted at a poll once in my life. Uh, and that was the first year that I was ever able to vote, which was in 2008. Uh, I went to a poll. And since then, I have only voted by mail. I've only voted by mail because I was away at college. And then I've only voted by mail because I was away on campaigns. And then I've only voted by mail because California has also this wonderful thing, which is permanent vote by mail registration. And so you're enrolled once and you always get a ballot and you never have to, you know, think about when is it going to come and when do I have to request it by? And it's a pretty great program. So I love vote by mail, but I know it's a complicated topic. It makes for intriguing programs that we have to run because we think about scripts and we think about how much earlier voting starts when you're voting by mail. Santiago, what comes to mind for you as one of the things that is tricky about tracking vote by mail programs? I know we're going to get into it, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that are difficult, but I'm curious about to hear your thoughts about from a data perspective. Yeah. Why is this so, so challenging? I mean, I think it's, it, you have the question of who is going to actually take advantage of this, you know, method. And in the past, like, because it's so limited or you have to have an excuse, you know, in order to request that ballot to begin with. It's just not something that, as far as a tactic on ease of use, you know, something that we that we use a lot of. But, you know, you have states like Arizona, where I'm from, and like, you know, when you register a voter, you're also registering them for that permanent um, early vote list. And so you have a good idea of like, who's going to be getting ballots. You have, um, you can get that data um, either through your voter file or from the county boards of elections, but right there, like once you mention county boards of elections on a data side, it can get kind of tricky because different counties uh, handle their data differently. Some uh, will update numbers on who's requested ballots um, or who's returned ballots um, more frequently than others. And so, you know, they can be sort of, at least in the past, there were, it was, you know, not as widely used in, in some states, you know, like uh, North Carolina, where I've worked a lot early voting in person and voting on election day are just much more prevalent. Some of these states that are now, because of the pandemic, thinking about, okay, how do we make this more accessible? Like they're lowering some of those barriers to entry. COVID can be used as an excuse in some places. And so more places are having to think about this and think about like, okay, how do we actually get the data on who is requesting these ballots? Um, how do we build the mechanisms to recruit people? You know, and how do we fold that into everything else that we've been doing or might traditionally do during a get out the vote campaign? Definitely. 
I think, you know, you brought up some good points about this is the first year that a lot of folks are running robust vote by mail programs and thinking about how do we encourage more people to vote by mail? How do we structure that? How do we get the data for, you know, who's requested a ballot, who's returned their ballot, all those things. There's also like a psychological component to all of the challenges around vote by mail, psychological and historical, which I think is super, super important. You know, we see right now in the news all the time things about the USPS and sowing distrust and uh, the imposter in chief is also, you know, sowing distrust and, and throwing shade on perfectly legitimate processes. So there's been a lot of questions about, you know, is this a safe way to do it? Not only do campaigns have to get over, you know, how do we build the infrastructure to run programs like this, but we also have to think about how do we talk to voters about this, especially when there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of distrust of the system, which in a lot of cases I think is rooted in systemic racism, in, is rooted in voter suppression and has perfectly legitimate race, like roots. But, you know, how do we talk through these things? How do we yeah. think about this? And I think it's important to have that lens when you are thinking about being thoughtful about the scripts, how you're talking to voters. There's a lot of education that we have to do to just make sure people feel comfortable with the process of voting. Um, that just gets them over, you know, gets people over the hump in terms of feeling confident that they are, they're what's going to be counted, that they are going to be um, able to have a voice. And so bringing that historical lens, I think is, is important because, you know, in some cases, you know, maybe, you know, early voting in person is more prevalent and like, maybe that's, that's the method that, you know, people are going to have trust in. And so being thoughtful about that, um, you know, whether or not vote by mail is going to be a, as large a component as it is everywhere else, maybe that will be the case, maybe it won't. And so that's, I think, it's helpful to have that historical lens. Absolutely. And Santiago, you know me, I'm a history nerd. I am very cognizant of, you know, where do all of these things come from? Uh, and so we're going to talk to some awesome people today about how to structure vote by mail programs, um, how to think about scripting, different things like that. Uh, but I did want to root us first um, in something that I read recently that I just shared with Santiago that I thought was really powerful and really important to keep it top of mind. Uh, we have a professor, Carol uh, Anderson, who wrote a book called One Person, No Vote. Uh, great book, highly recommend it. It's all uh, about voter suppression and the suppression of the African-American and Black vote in the United States. And highly recommend it to anyone who is working in politics and who is wondering how do we push back against centuries of uh, historic racism and voter suppression in this country. And when it comes to vote by mail and absentee voting, I wanted to share this uh, quick story from this book, One Person, No Vote, from Carol Anderson, just to kind of center us in some of the, the depth of the challenges that we're facing in certain communities asking them to vote by mail. This particular uh, story actually takes place in 1982 not honestly that long ago, in Alabama. And we have Albert Turner Sr., who was an organizer in Alabama. He worked with Dr. Martin Luther King. He led a lot of voting activism in the 60s. 
and actually when he uh, first tried to register to vote as a college educated man in Alabama, he failed the literacy test in Alabama in 1960. And so he made it a mission of his to enfranchise more voters in Alabama and make sure that the black vote was heard. And one of the things that he noticed was that in the black belt of Alabama, there was a suppressed black turnout, which led to a lack of representation on everything from school boards to county commissioner seats. And he noticed this and he found out that the reason why was because of vote by mail, was because of absentee voting. You had a lot of white folks who were in, who were voting absentee in this black belt and therefore they were winning because you know these folks maybe lived in Chicago or lived elsewhere in the state and had a residence or had somewhere, but they were registered to vote in these areas. And so they would vote by mail and the turnout was astronomical. And so Turner went on to say, okay, well, there's a lot of folks in these areas who are eligible to vote absentee. They uh, you know, work in different counties from where they live. On top of that, Santiago, this blows my mind. The polls were open for four hours on election day. Ridiculous. Going back to the literacy test is like, what? And then four hours? Get out. Like, that's ridiculous. Four hours. They were open for four hours. So for elderly folks, for folks who worked in a different county, right, getting back to vote in person on election day for that four-hour window is almost impossible. It's absolutely ridiculous. So what Turner did was when he and several colleagues and other organizers went around and requested absentee ballot ballots and helped people register to vote by mail and helped people get absentee ballots because they had excuses to. And what happened that year in 1982 was they, you had some of your first black county commissioners elected in these counties. You had some of your first black school board members elected in some of these counties. And that was in large part thanks to the work that Turner and his associates did to help boost the black turnout by registering people to get absentee ballots. So awesome. fast forward though, and guess who noticed this? Old friend, old, old friend, Beauregard Sessions the third. I cannot believe that that is a name, um, but yes, Jeff Sessions was a attorney there and he noticed that this was happening and so he brought charges against Turner and a bunch of the voters. He, they did a sting operation with the FBI where they took a bunch of the absentee ballots that Turner had collected to turn in. These are mostly from old folks. Uh, these are from folks who had excuses to have absentee ballots. So he did a sting with the FBI and collected those absentee ballots and ended up charging several people with fraud. Well, turns out they brought all these people in front of a jury, in front of a judge, and so many of them, so many of the charges were thrown out because they didn't have evidence for it because they were legitimate ballots. They were absolutely legitimate ballots, but they were thrown out. And so I'm just gonna read a quote directly from the book, again, One Person, No Vote by Carol Anderson. And so it says, even when the judge threw out most of the charges, and the jury came back with a not guilty verdict on the few remaining counts. The damage had been done. This trial laid out how to marshal the forces of legal intimidation to trigger communal memories of brutality, Jim Crow, and disenfranchisement. So all of this to say, Santiago, there are there's deep scars when it comes to a lot of this. And not only 
have there been challenges to a lot of people just don't trust absentee voting and it's legitimate and it's things that we have to grapple with and talk through because not only is it about the USPS and it's about delivery, it's also about this legal intimidation that happened in the 1980s, as early as the 1980s, and I'm sure there are other cases of it that happened more recently, where folks were actually charged with fraud and then those charges were completely dropped because they were illegitimate, but the damage has been done as uh, Anderson writes. And so just wanna keep that, wanna bring it up and, and mention it to folks because a lot of these stars run deep. And a lot of times when we're talking about vote by mail, we're talking about absentee voting, you know, we're bringing up something that will help us boost voter turnout, right? We've, we've seen this, that voter turnout increases more people vote by mail. But we're also fighting against historic forces when it comes to healing some of these wounds. And we're fighting against the ghost of Jeff Sessions in this case. You know, not even a ghost yet, but there's a lot of this is still alive. And so yeah. just wanted to bring that up so that we have it present as we're having this conversation. I think that's, that's good grounding in terms of bringing it back to history, even just recent history. Like, it's, like what's crazy is like, you can hear that and think that it's just something that happened so long ago. But one of the primary characters in this story, Jeff Sessions, is somebody who is very much in front of mind in our current politics. And so it's not that long ago, but you know, these are communities that are under attack by these racist forces that are using legal means to just intimidate people. And so I think that's excellent grounding. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I'm excited for the conversations we're going to have um, and that we'll get to share with all of you around this to kind of dig a little bit deeper in terms of like, how do we approach vote by mail in, in these communities that are under attack and making sure that their voices are heard, they can exercise their right to vote and that, you know, voting is as safe and easy as possible in this election um, and making sure that, you know, we, we carry that message and knowing the context behind it all. I am so jazzed to share with you today these two conversations with two absolutely incredible women who I look up to. They are fabulous field directors in two vote by mail states. And so I'm thrilled to share their wisdom and their knowledge about how to run vote by mail programs. My first interview is with Kyla Sabado. Kyla is the field director for Jason Crow's congressional campaign in Colorado. Kyla spent four years in a DC consulting firm for campaigns and advocacy groups nationally, working with groups like the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, NEA, and state parties. In 2019, she moved to Colorado to work on an anti-recall campaign. She prevented the recall of Dem legislators in Colorado, including the Senate president, keeping the majority in the legislature. She then worked as the Colorado training director for Elizabeth Warren's campaign, training staff and volunteers around the state. And Kyla is now the field director for Jason Crow for Congress, a seat that was flipped just this last cycle in 2018. We are so excited to talk to Kyla. Well, I am so thrilled to sit down today with Kyla Sabado, who is the field director for a D-trip campaign in Colorado. And Kyla, I was wondering if you could just start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, the work that you have done in politics in the past, and then what you are currently up to. 
Yeah, of course. So um, I actually got my this my start in politics in a not super glamorous place. I was at a phone consulting firm, which like no one really thinks that that's like really, really jazzy. But it's kind of where I learned a lot of my VBM uh, stuff because I was working at at least one project in almost every state in the country. And so um, I got a really good lens into what was how things were different across the country and you know the stuff that the folks in california and or arizona were facing was very different than the stuff in the northeast and the south and so it was a really cool lens into hundreds of different campaigns and uh you know wrote thousands of different GOTV scripts over the years that uh, i got my start there so then uh i was fortunate enough to be the colorado training director for warren and uh, that was, you know, an incredible time. Um, and I'm currently the field director for Jason Crow, uh, so getting to run a little bit of my own <laughs> vote by mail GOTV program in just a few weeks here. That's amazing. Thank you, Kyla. And so, I mean, I think having that breadth of experience across different uh, campaigns and being able to see, you know, these states, some of whom vote by mail is is the lifeblood, right? You know, we've worked in a number of states, like I am in California, I know you're from California originally, where you have like permanent mail registration, you're just allowed to be enrolled in a program where they automatically send you a ballot every single year. You know, we have Washington, Oregon now, Colorado, Utah, surprisingly, as another state that does uh, kind of automatic enrollment in vote by mail. And now we have a lot of states both experimenting this year and expanding their programs. And then also um, a lot of states that are kind of dealing within the restrictions maybe of what the current structure is and having to figure out, you know, how to do voting safely this year. But I'm super curious, both like from your work that you're doing currently, and then of course your past experience, would love to just hear from you about how do you, as a field director, as someone who is uh, you know, leading these teams, how do you think about structuring a vote by mail organizing program particularly? Yeah, yeah. So I think the first thing that you want to really be thinking about is like how how in depth is this going to be, right? Because a vote by mail program can just really mimic like what people are more used to with um, some kind of like absentee ballot chase and just a little bit more expanded. But um, like how how invested are you? Do you have a lot of resources? Do you want to actually do an application process where you send out applications to folks or push applications to a specific voting audience and you try and get them to register to vote by mail? Um, I know, as you said, like there are a lot of states where they automatically send it, um, but that's not the case for the majority of the country. And so um, I think it's really important to start with thinking about how how robust is this program going to be? Um, what capacity do you have realistically to get people educated on how to apply to become someone who can vote by mail? Uh, that's kind of that first step. And then after that, you kind of have to determine what your goal is with the vote by mail program. So it's really going to depend on the state. But, you know, like in Colorado, we have drop boxes and 90% of Coloradans already vote by taking their mailed to them ballot and dropping it in a local drop box. Um, and it's an incredible program um, and it's made voting very easy for folks, but uh, that's not the case in every state. So, you know, and we're worried about USPS right now. It looks like mail is taking 14 to 16 days and, you know, some people don't even get their ballot within that window. So 
how do you still run a, a program when we're afraid to send mail right now, I think is a really important thing when you're thinking about that structure. Um, and I think it's important to remember that even if you get a ballot, you can physically take that to a polling center. And instead of having to stand in line, risk exposure to virus, right? We're voting in a pandemic this year. Um, you can go and you can just bring that and that'll decrease your exposure. You won't have to stand in some three hour line um, and you still get the benefits of having a ballot mailed to you where you get to read it over and think through how, you know, the down ballot, you get to do research on the judicial nominee or you know, whoever it is that those down ballot folks that really need your attention. Um, but normally, you, you know, if you know, if you just go to the poll, you're like, I don't, I don't know who this is and you don't have time to do that research. So um, it, it's kind of a good best of both worlds. And it just really depends on where you're at in the country and what's going to be the best solution for your voters. Um, and the last thing when you're thinking about a structure is having a contingency plan, right? At this point, anything can change, you know, even if we're thinking about voting in person, you know, sometimes polling locations change at the last second and you have to scramble and get that information to voters. So what's your contingency plan for any situation that could go wrong with vote by mail? You brought up so many important points in that. Uh, I was nodding my head here vigorously to so much of that. And, you know, I think the important part, a lot of what you said of like, you know, there's so many different rules across the country. You know, if you are in Georgia or if you are in Colorado or if you are in Wisconsin, you know, there's wildly different regulations following this. So making sure that you know kind of what are the restrictions that we're playing in. Hopefully by this point, a lot of folks on campaigns know kind of what the the rules of uh, the road are. But I'm curious because you said something in there that I think was fascinating in the sense of Coloradans who have been, you know, voting by mail for a long time now, they know to take their ballots and go and drop it off in a drop box. And they feel like that's a safe thing to do, that that is something that is accessible to them. Um, and they know sort of like where to go or how to find it the same way that oftentimes we think about educating folks on where to find your polling location and where to go to find that. And so to me, I hear that and I'm like, that that's training, right? <laughs> like that is years of sort of education and talking about how do we normalize and learn to adapt this tactic and like uh, actually implement these vote by mail efforts. And so I'm just curious, you know, because I think so much of vote by mail involves this training, involves this sort of education component. Um, and so, you know, for those folks who are in states where turnout has primarily focused on mobilizing people to do in-person voting, right? What are just some tips that you might give to someone who's running a like ballot program, ballot by mail program for the first time this year? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, honestly to just think about it early, right? Like you're going to have to do a lot of your own research and this is not something that you should wait till October. If you haven't done this already, you need to think about what this is going to look like. Um, and it's like, I hate to say this, field directors, like you need to write this out in your field plan. Like if it's not a section that's already written out, stop what you're doing, make that a priority because it's just so important to have, you know, it's the best campaign adage. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So make sure that you're starting to think about this because once you start putting that pen to paper, you're going to be able to see, oh, these are all the potential pitfalls that we're going to face. And then the next thing is, as you said, Julia, training, right? Like 
run voter education through the campaign. I know that we're all doing a lot, but it's so critical. And I also think it's a really cool first step for people to get into your campaign. Um, when I teach my organizers about how to how to be good organizers, one thing I like to say is like, what's that bottom rung? How are people getting that first step on the ladder of engagement into your campaign? And training is a really good way to do that. Um, and so when you run voter education, what can that look like? Like I've always liked to do one hour trainings if there's anything significantly different with voting so that, you know, every Friday they know they can come to a training and learn from the campaign what's going to be different this year, um, right? Because, you know, voters aren't like us. They're not in this world constantly. They're not doing the research themselves and like they kind of need to be you know, they want the easiest process possible. And so your job is to make it as easy as possible. So I, you need to have one pagers on what looks different so that if folks just need a quick one pager guide, you can send that to them. If they need to have a space where they can ask questions, you need to be running one hour trainings. Um, have a resource guide ready, whether that's just like an FAQ page where you say, here are the questions we're getting and the common responses here's hyperlinks so that you can go look at other resources, right? Like that's really, really important for you to do that legwork so that voters don't have to. Um, and the biggest thing is just demystifying it, right? Like it can sound kind of scary. There's um, some national conversation that's making it sound like vote by mail isn't safe. And that's absolutely incorrect. It's a very safe process and so you need to do the work to demystify it um, and just make it as clean and simple as possible. So many snaps for that. I think that you know it's just so important and I, I'm taking notes here uh, because I think you know folks should really pay attention to these one pagers right. I think voters and especially volunteers so like our activists right they love to have this knowledge and to be able to feel empowered to pass it along to other people and so making sure that you have all that information readily accessible to be able to pass along to someone else who can then you know spread that information even wider and making sure your your campaign is a trusted source for this information and i feel like that leads into a lot of my next question, um, because Kyla, as you mentioned in the beginning, you have done a lot of this, and I'm super curious to hear how you tie it all together in the form of scripts. So scripts are a huge part. You know, we talked about educating voters, um, those one pagers with frequently asked questions, all of that, but how do you bring it all together um, in the form of a script? So I think just two parts to this question. First of all, sort of what's the cadence of scripts when you're running a vote by mail program? And then secondly, like what goes into those scripts? The biggest thing with scripting, I, I wanna take it like to the like big picture where like you have to remember that you're, if you get a voter on the phone, that might be the only time you talk to a voter. So, and this might be the only information you deliver to a voter. So it's so critical that when we do get a voter on the phone, we have it be like the most easily, easy to understand message. So like big picture, your script needs to be clean, short, and simple. I don't, I hate when I see filler language in scripts. Like I'm calling you because no, no, no. Like, I don't want to see that filler. I need you to get straight to the point. Hi, my name is Kyla. I'm a volunteer with Jason Crow's campaign. And right now you should be getting your ballot in the mail within the next week. What is your plan to drop that off at the closest uh, ballot box to you? Right? Like, 
you're giving them a plan of action, you're not wasting any time. Democracy is at risk. Like we have to just get to the point with folks um, and we can't waste time on just like floofy stuff. So um, just keep that uh, like big picture scripting in mind. Um, and then the, you know, when you talk about cadence, I think about the different timings and the different kind of language shifts in the program. So like when, you know, early October or whenever ballots are starting dropping out for some people, that's like very, very soon, if not right now, you should be calling folks and saying you are receiving, you should be receiving your ballot this week. What is your plan to get that back, right? Plan making is an essential part of all of these scripts. Um, and I like to think of it as like three steps of urgency. So that first of like, hey, you, you should be getting this keep an eye out for it, right? Because if people don't get it, that's something that they should know is a problem. And they're probably not looking at the Secretary of State um, calendar to know when they're getting their ballot. So tell them that it's coming, tell them that they should start creating a plan, right? And then that second script is when you're really getting down to the wire. Um, hey, we have one week left until, uh, you know, you can't mail it anymore. We're like, yeah, for us, we have the ballot boxes, but if you're worried, about getting people to mail it 16 days before the election, you should be calling them on day 20, day 19, um, to let them know that they that higher urgency, you need to get your ballot in the mail, what is your plan? Um, and then there's that past deadline, okay, you can't mail it anymore, please do not stick that ballot in the mail. So what's the plan, right? Like, is that a ballot box? Is that taking it to the polling station? Is that, you know, what is it? And so, that third script should be that like urgent, urgent voting is almost done. Like we need to hear your options, get it in. And just a few more like scripting tips. At, just remember like that things change, right? Like we mentioned earlier that last minute the secretary of state or like local county board could change the polling location. Things can change. We're working on campaigns. We need to have contingency plans. So a big thing is don't try to not pop information into the script. Um, so like a polling location or um, stuff like that, that kind of stuff can get messy really fast. And so instead, remember to offer resources. Um, if that's just, hey, if you are having trouble voting, this is the page you go to, um, whatever it is. If you need to look up this information, look up your closest polling location to drop your ballot off at, this is where you go um, instead of just relying on Excel and data, because um, at the very worst, that can be voter suppression if uh, a list gets mixed up and you pop that wrong information in. I love that. Uh, I love the, the advice to keep it clean, to keep it simple, and to point people towards the resources that they need. I think it always, it also goes sort of hand in hand with what we often tell organizers, which is that you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know every single part of every single stance of every single policy of your candidate. You just need to know where to send them to. And it sounds like from you, the same applies to, you know, a lot of voter information. You don't have to be the expert. And in fact, maybe shouldn't try to make yourself an expert as a volunteer or a voter or as an organizer you know, make sure that we're pointing people in the right direction. And just wanted to ask, you know, as someone who's been on the ground doing this work, you know, you're working with organizers who are hearing common concerns from voters about vote by mail, and you've brought it up a couple of times. So I'm just curious to hear from you, you know, what are some of the common concerns that you're hearing about vote by mail this year? Um, and how are you coaching organizers and volunteers on how to answer those concerns? Yeah. 
So I think the biggest thing I'm seeing is like folks are worried about their ballot not being counted. They're worried about getting lost in the mail. They're worried about their ballot being rejected, which is a very real fear. Um, and they're worried about their ballot not coming in time, right? Like we saw in um, the Kentucky primary, like it, some people's ballots showed up the day of the election and that's not helpful for vote by mail. So um, it's, it's really important when you are hearing these kind of fears um, to validate validate those fears, right? Like people are scared and we need to empathize with voters, but at the same time, we should not be validating myths, you know, like the voter fraud stuff. That's another concern that folks have heard regarding vote by mail, that it's higher propensity for voter fraud. And that's just not true. Um, and so validate fears, don't validate myths. But the biggest thing is to present confidence, right? Like people are scared and they're looking to campaigns to show strength and to show that we have our stuff together. So show that our side has a plan and, you know, you're going to create all these contingency plans, like walk them through like, hey, we have a plan. This is our first plan. This is the best option. And like, we're going to make sure that your vote gets counted. And so um, that confidence is going to put folks at ease. They want to know that we know the obstacles and that we have a plan to make sure that we can overcome each of those obstacles. Um, and lastly is just be prepared for anything, right? Like when you are prepared, you're setting them up for success. And so letting people know that you're prepared, letting them know that uh, we have our stuff together and we're prepared for a very difficult election. Thank you so, so much, Kyla. I feel like that is such a, an important note to end on. Just that, you know, a lot of folks are looking to campaigns. A lot of folks, we hear these things in the media or from outside sources, and we don't know the truth. And I think back to, you know, when the pandemic started and just the, the lack of information that we all had that were driving some terrible decisions and that were driving, you know, a lot of fear because we didn't have all the information. And so putting your campaign in that, in the driver's seat uh, to say, you know, we, here is the information, even having your own internal deadlines. I've heard a lot of campaigns, the cycle doing that of saying, okay, you know, the recommendation from the secretary of state is that you turn your, you uh, turn your ballot in, you know, 16 days before the election, if you're going to mail it. But maybe, you know, talking within your campaign and saying, oh, do we agree with that deadline? Do we want to say earlier, you know, and, and finding reasons and justifications for it and communicating those. Well, Kyla, thank you so, so much. I want to uh, just ask one last open-ended question, which is just, is there any other advice you would give to a campaign that is heading into the end of September, early October, um, you know, and starting to really hunkered down on these programs. Uh, any last words of advice? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing is just, you know, this all comes back to like vulnerable voters and making sure that our most vulnerable audiences are and voters are being heard and getting counted. So um, think about that and think about people who are vulnerable to the virus. Think about people who are uh, vulnerable to having their ballots rejected for silly reasons and put the work in, right? Like, we need to be putting the work in and make sure that every voter is getting heard on November 3rd. Thank you so, so much, Kyla. That's such a great note to end on. Think about vulnerable voters. Uh, take that with you. Um, and thank you so much for the work that you are doing out in Colorado. I am so excited to see you when all of this is, uh, when we're on the other side of it. 
So good luck. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have Liz Luna, who is the field director of the Arizona Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee. Liz was born in Arizona and raised in Phoenix. She's the proud daughter of immigrant parents with Southern Mexican indigenous roots. She is the first in her family to attend and graduate from Arizona State University. And she became politically involved in 2016 after seeing how kitchen table issues affected her mixed status family. Liz managed Raquel Teran's legislative race in 2018. Liz understands that every voice matters. And when we engage communities, we must address the issues that impact them, their values and their families. So she puts that all into practice in her role as the field director with the ADLCC. We are so thrilled to talk with Liz today. Well, welcome Liz Luna to the Boiler Room podcast with Arena. We are so, so excited to talk to you. I have just been saying this, but you're absolutely one of my favorite people in the political space. And so I could not be more thrilled to have this conversation with you today about Vote by Mail. Hi, Julia. I'm so excited to be with you. I love Arena. Um, and I am so excited to talk about something that is so Arizonan to us. I was born and raised in Arizona. I've never left except for the 2018 uh, cycle in Virginia, but I've been so excited to do work here. And growing up here, I saw a lot of what the state legislature was doing to families like mine who were mixed status. Um, and so as I grew up and became an adult, uh, no better way to give back to my community than get involved in electoral politics. That's amazing. and. I love the such deep, deep Arizona roots and therefore so excited to talk to you today about something that is, as you said, so typically Arizonan, uh, which is vote by mail. So Arizona is a huge vote by mail state. It has been for a long time. You all have this thing called the permanent early vote list or PEVL, which is something that a voter can sign up for and then they'll be automatically mailed a ballot every single year. Love that. So I would just love to hear from you as someone who is a field director, as someone who, you know, has managed uh, vote by mail programs, just how does Pebble shape how you perceive GOTV or turnout in an election? So about 75% of the vote came in 2016, came from early vote, uh, Pebble. Um, and so for us, voting by mail is super easy, right? And when you look at it from a field perspective, in the first two weeks that uh, ballots drop, we call it that when uh, ballots get to people's houses, those are critical uh, weeks. Uh, that is when most of the vote comes in, that 75% by election day, the election has really been decided here in Arizona. Um, and so the name of the game is to make sure that we talk to all the voters that we've ID'd as supporters, um, to still persuade those ones who are undecided and to pull anyone else in um, and to get them to actually come out and vote by mail. And so for us, it's being persistent with voters and continuing to reach out to them um, about the importance of mailing back their ballot, right? Uh, voting by mail is safe and secure and effective. Um, and we've seen it here in Arizona. This time around, we, we think it, the approximation is going to be anywhere between 80 to 90% of the vote being made up of early vote by mail. 80 to 90%. Liz, that's huge. That's absolutely huge and just such a testament to, to you know, how long this program has been going and how many people are already enrolled 
and I know some of the amazing work that you all have done in Arizona to make sure that other folks are also enrolled and that they you know, have an opportunity to get a ballot by mail this year or to go in to vote early. I'm just a little curious, kind of digging into your field director brain. Just wanna think a little bit and hear from you about how you go about segmenting and targeting for the period of like early vote and vote by mail. You mentioned a little bit of that two week period before ballots drop, but would love to just hear a little bit more about how you think about segmenting and targeting in you know that critical time as folks start to vote? Yes, so no, um, I think for us, our thinking is because there is such a large vote share of the vote coming from Pebble, um, we prioritize those folks, right? So we look at our universes and we, we segment who is on Pebble, right? Who are the folks that we know are voters that vote on Pebble, uh, are consistent. We wanna talk to those folks first. That doesn't mean that we're alienating all those other votes, right? Uh, we still continue to talk to those folks, but we're more intentional about allowing folks to also know, hey, um, if you're not voting by mail, you can go and vote early in person. Here are the places that you can do that, um, but also following up for those election day voters who are like, I don't want to do this. Like I want to go on election day and we give those a special treatment at the end, but we truly focus on taking our universes, looking at the demographics, looking at the trends, who tends to vote um, early uh, by mail, um, because even with Pebble, um, you have some Pebble lates and some Pebble earlies and the earlies are the folks that actually vote within that, uh, more like window that you can do so. For example, here in the state of Arizona, yes, ballots are mailed on October 7th, but uh, the date to return them back by mail is the recommended is October 27th. So technically seven days before election day. After that, um, we don't recommend folks mail them back. We actually uh, tell them to go drop them off at an early vote center or actually wait for election day to do so. And that is why for us, it's so critical to look at our universes, break them apart and making sure that we're actually talking to those Pebble folks early on. I think that's so smart, Liz. And you said something that's super interesting and I wanna dig into a little bit because I know it's different per state, um, but you said early Pebble voters and late Pebble voters. And so just wanna um, hear from you a little bit about what is the information that you all get back from the state about who all has voted how do you take that information into account um, and sort of, you know, tailor in your program based upon the information that's coming back from you from the Secretary of State about who has voted? Um, and I just want to caveat this by saying that, like, it's different per state, but I think it's super helpful to know if you get this information, how do you use it? Yes. So obviously, Arizona kind of does whatever they want because we're Arizona, of course. But I think most of the way uh, Pebble works is actually, um, it gets sent by mail. It actually is processed in Phoenix. Um, and then it's returned to their individual counties and individual counties will then report back to the Secretary of State. Um, like these are the folks who have voted. Um, and in some places uh, we get daily returns. And so what we'll do is we'll look at our universe, pull all those people out who we know have voted. Um, but in other places such as the cases uh, LD6, up north in northern Arizona, um, we might be 
because there are four counties, we might not get uh, returns daily, we might get them weekly. So yes, uh, we continue to make calls to these voters until we actually see that they have voted. Um, and yes, voters get annoyed and they're upset sometimes, but you know, we always give them that opportunity to engage uh, in the electoral process and have their voices heard. So we do not pull anyone out until we have that complete confirmation that their vote has been casted and counted. I'm curious to hear from you, voting by mail is something that Arizonans do and have done for a while. What are some of the common concerns that you still hear? I know that this year is very special because we've had all of these things surface up about the postal service and so forth. But I'm just curious to hear sort of in a normal year in Arizona, what are some of the common concerns about vote by mail? And then also what are some of the common challenges to voting by mail? Like when you're trying to chase these voters, what are some of those challenges to folks getting their ballots in in time? So obviously here this year is very unique. Um, some of the concerns that we do know from voters is, will my ballot make it in the mail processed on time? That's why Arizona recommends that you send it back seven days before election day, because like I said, places like LD6, where the mail is coming from northern Arizona down to Phoenix and back, that takes a while. So those are some of the concerns voters have. Obviously, uh, there are concerns that you might not even get uh, your pebble, um, for example. So there has been cases of voters where they are on the list. Um, and they saw, they will receive it in most of the elections, and sometimes they won't receive uh, their envelope with a prepaid stamp and ballot to send back. So then the voter has to call the county and re-request it. And here, the fortunate thing in Arizona is that, yes, while our voter uh, registration deadline is October 5th. You actually, as long as you have a valid voter registration, you have until October uh, 23rd to request a ballot from your county, whether it's a one-time ballot. Um, like in, in 2020, um, some folks uh, have decided that they want to request ballots to vote in this election because they don't want to go out to the polling locations. Um, and then some folks are just permanent. Um, and so, so those are some of the things. Also, one of the other things that folks uh, don't commonly know is that when you register to vote, you actually have the option to request uh, the pebble. It's not like automatic, like everyone, you know, who registers to vote is automatically on pebble. No, like folks have to make that request when you're registering to vote. And you can always update your voter registration to include that in it. That's awesome. So Liz, just a question, you know, you've told us a little bit about targeting and how you think about these different waves of targeting uh, during the final stretch to get folks to turn their ballots back in. I'd love to hear, you know, what you say to voters. How do you coach your teams about, you know, their scripts and what they're actually saying to voters in this final stretch? It's so important to remind voters the fact that they have the opportunity to vote um, and engage. And for us with scripts, um, we truly dive in in the concept that um, 
uh, voting by mail is safe, secure, and effective. Um, and when we tell voters, um, you should be first receiving uh, your ballot by mail um, this week if we're doing the program ahead of time. Make sure that you um, vote for our candidates, obviously, um, and then also sign it and seal it and put it back in the mail. You do not need to include a stamp. You just put it in your mailbox and the mailman will take it for you and it will be delivered. Um, and so that is the important thing that we that we do with our scripts is like reminding voters the steps that there are to actually voting, right? I think about it in, in these steps. Uh, the biggest thing is registering a vote, registering to make sure you have Pebble, and then number two, uh, waiting for the ballot to get here. Number three, you take it out of the mailbox, uh, you fill it out with black pen, uh, you, you put it back into your envelope, you seal your envelope, and you sign your envelope and you might want to put your phone number on there in case you know there are issues verifying your signature um, and you put it back into your mailbox without a stamp and then they they will process it um, here in maricopa county we actually are fortunate enough to have a tracking system where you will receive a text message if you sign up for that um, where the county will tell you your ballot has been mailed to you the your ballot has been received uh your ballot has been processed and counted um and so that is some of the fortunate things, but we always try to remember uh, that not all voters understand what the steps are. So our scripts are very like step one, step two, step three. Like this is how you achieve this. I love that because I feel like sometimes with vote by mail, it can feel like there's sort of choice overload. I know we also have this in California um, where I'm also, we have a permanent uh, vote by mail list in California and I'm registered uh, to vote by mail in California, and I just automatically get that ballot every year. But there's also, there's so many different options for voting. You can vote early in person at certain vote centers. Sometimes different counties have different uh, methods of voting. You know, there's vote by mail, there's drop boxes, there's, you know, mailboxes, there's all of these different ways to do this. So, you know, I think sometimes for voters, it can feel almost overwhelming, the amount of information that sometimes it feels like you need to vote. And I imagine particularly for states where vote by mail hasn't been a traditional part of their programs, but where they're doing it for the first time this year, you know, there's a lot of new information that they're getting and processing and receiving. And so we'd just love to hear from you. I, I love the steps that you just laid out. Um, but as far as kind of the basic information uh, that people need to vote either early or vote by mail sort of what would you advise someone as like the information that they need to communicate most importantly to voters? Yes, I mean, so Arizona has actually had uh, ballots by mail for approximately two decades. Um, so we're in a very unique place. Actually, we're ahead of our times, I think, for this instance, at least. Um, when you talk to voters about the difference of methods in voting, it's it's, important to remember that you need to give voters some information uh, and context as to what their options are. Um, most voters might think that the only 
uh, way to vote is on election day. And in some cases, that's not true, right? Like in Arizona, you can sign up ahead of time to request a ballot. Um, you can, even if the mailing ballots have been mailed, you still have a, a time to request one. Um, and early vote centers are also an important thing. So when you're talking to voters, it's important to give them the resources. So if there's an official website from the county recorder or the Secretary of State, um, giving them those resources where they can go look up that information um, and also having guided conversations as to what um, opportunities they have uh, between now and election day to actually cast their ballot um, is also important right? Like when do early vote centers open? Um, where can I find a uh, polling location near me? And even for us, I think it's also important to remind folks who receive the, the pebble is yes, you have to, you should uh, mail it back by October 27th. But what if you forget, right? Like you filled it out, you got it already, and then you forgot to put it in the mailbox. Should you take the risk? or is there another option? Or do I actually have to go vote in person? Well, no, you can actually take it and drop it off in an early vote center before election day, or you can actually drop it off on election day as well. I think that's so, so, so important. And it's so important too that campaigns be the sources of truth for this information. You know, yes, there's a secretary of state. It feels very official, very legal, and it, and it should. But, you know, for that panicked voter that still has their ballot sitting on their kitchen table, you know, a few days after the deadline of when they were told to turn it in, where can that person go for information? And so making sure that your websites have clear information about what to do, you know, any campaign materials that you all are putting out there should also be sort of sources for, of truth for how to vote safely on time, all of those things and how to be counted this year. Yes, uh, actually, our candidates um, here in Arizona actually do have a, a voting information section, generally, like how to sign up for Pebble, um, also where to find early vote centers, things like that, just because we do know that voters need all the information sometimes. But at least if I were a voter, and I've been contacted by a campaign, and I might not know that um, my county recorder has that information, I will go uh, look at that source from my candidate. That's awesome. All right, Liz, I have two more questions. But the, you mentioned earlier that, you know, by the time election day rolls, down, rolls around, most of the folks in Arizona have already voted. Most of them have turned in. So I'm just curious to hear from you, you know, how do you think about those last days? How do you prepare yourself, your team, for what's gonna happen in those final days and kind of what to expect uh, during that final push of um, getting people to vote in person? The last week for us is, is still very intense. Obviously, that those first two weeks, three weeks of uh, Pebble are critical. Um, but when you think about the importance of getting out the vote, right, um, for us, it's Pebble is so important because it helps uh, folks who have scheduling conflicts, maybe disabilities, other circumstances that makes it hard to participate on election day. Um, but then once we get to election day, right, our teams really focus on going back to those voters who may have held on to their pebbles because one, they didn't know how to fill it out. Two, they might not understand the process. Um, and three, they might just think, you know, I already missed the deadline. Like, 
I, I can't do anything with this. And actually, um, in the last couple of weeks of GOTV, um, we focus uh, in the last week, we truly focus on calling back those voters that we still see um, that have their ballots at home that may have not mailed them back and calling them and reminding them, hey, you can drop it off. Um, please actually go vote. Um, and for us, then chasing those actual poll voters is so important, like telling them, hey, uh, the polls open early on election day. Um, if you're in line, stay in line. And so in the final days of election day, for us, it's critical um, that we continue to talk to voters, um, for us here in Arizona, continuing to persuade them, also continuing to turn them out um, because it's gonna make a difference. Um, there are some state legislature races that we lost in 2018 by 500 plus votes, um, by 200 plus votes. So following up with every voter is critical between now and election day. Thank you so much, Liz. And I just want to end um, just on one quick question because we started our conversation here and I just I think it's a great story and also a great sort of pathway for what Arizona, you know, is up against and has been through this cycle and many of the other cycles that you all have been involved in. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't see this. Uh, but Liz Luna is sitting here with these incredible cactus earrings and this huge pink cowboy boot cutout in the back behind her. It's gigantic. I would guess it's, it's maybe about Liz's height. It's a pretty big boot. And so Liz, I was just hoping you could tell us the story uh, of this boot and kind of what you're hoping for this election cycle. Yes, so this boot actually has been iconic in my life. I actually met this boot four years ago. Uh, when I did my first campaign in 2016, uh, I worked for now Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick, but she was running for US Senate against now, you know, our beloved uh, Senator John McCain. And this, this boot really symbolizes a, a lot of things for many Arizonans. Um, it's hope and it's many other things, right? Uh, the the idea that maybe we could have had a woman president, um, a, a woman a senator, and now we do have a woman senator, right? Um, and hopefully after this election, we'll have, uh, you know, more opportunities uh, to expand our, our reach in democracy. But this boo um, actually is with me because obviously COVID happened and it used to sit behind my desk at the ADLCC. And I decided uh, one day that I went to pick up my standing desk and this is super into a uh, quarantine. We're talking uh, July. And I looked at the boo and because it meant so much and it was sitting behind my desk, I was like, you know what? Everyone should be able to see this boot on every conference call I have, even if, even if COVID is happening. So I brought the boot home to my dismays. Uh, there was actually a fire at headquarters and we lost on one side of the building so many things, memorabilia, so many things that meant so many things, and essentially our home. Um, but I had the boot, and so my claim to fame is that I saved the boot that kickstarted me in politics in 2016. So I love the pink boot, um, and I love uh, Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick because she gave me the opportunity to get involved, even if I didn't know what I was doing in politics. So it's amazing. 
I love that, Liz. And I think it's so fitting because to me, you are the future of politics in Arizona. I hope that there are more Liz Lunas coming out of the cycle who are inspired to do this work and who get to learn from you and be on the incredible team that you are leading in Arizona. And again, I just think it's so fitting that you have this boot because this is, you are this wave, Liz. You are the next uh, generation who gets to fill these boots and wear these boots um, and take us further and better places. So thank you so much for talking to me today about Vote by Mail in Arizona. Really appreciate hearing your insights from someone who has grown up in this world and really, you know, where Vote by Mail is, is something that is just so natural and a part of, of what you all do. So thank you, Liz. Thank you.